0: Good morning. Jesus is in full flow. He's gathered this crowd around him, this crowd who are hanging on every single word. He's just taught into a parable where he describes the word of God being like a seed. And whenever it falls on good soil, it can't help but grow and multiply. And then he moves on to sort of firing out these punchy statements Nobody lights a lamp and puts it underneath their bed. Nobody lights a lamp and puts a basket over it. And as Jesus is teaching in full flow with everybody hanging on his words, one of his disciples moves forward through the crowd trying to get Jesus's attention. Jesus, Jesus, your mum and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus pauses, he looks up, over the crowd that have been gathered together and looks to them and says, Do you not see? These are my mother and my brothers. For my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This morning... It's going to be a really fun morning for us as a community as we get to commission those of you who are going to be heading off on summer teams this morning, hands up if you are heading away. The Tribe Tours to Ibiza, you're heading with Salt Factory Sports, you're heading with any Exodus teams, any other organizations, there's, put your hands up real high, would you? Yeah, amazing, Awesome. Cool. We're going to be praying for you in just a few moments. I'm going to say a few things specifically to each of you um, in just a few moments' time. But before I get there, I want to speak to us as a whole community. Because as we pray for these guys, as we release them into their summer, we are going to be commissioning them. And yet it's really important to remember that we're only commissioning them for a certain season, for the summer, Because the truth is that each of us who are the beloved, as we talked about last Sunday, we've already been commissioned for the entirety of our lives. We read about it in Matthew 28... Go into all the world make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That's backed up by Acts 1.8. Whenever Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which takes in Lisbon, and yes, it takes in Ibiza. Each of us have already been commissioned. The question that I want to explore though this morning is what kind of life have we been commissioned into? If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to James chapter one. It's right at the back of the New Testament. Um it is page eight hundred and forty two in the Black Bibles that are on your seat. If you're here this morning and it's your first time with us and you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take one of these home with you. They're a gift to you from us as a community. James 1, I'm going to read from verse 16. It says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and all the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This is where I want to get to this morning. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's talk about my face for a second, right? I can't see my face right now, but you can. Well, I can sort of see my face. I've got quite a big nose, so if I kind of look kind of funny, I can just sort of see the tip of it. My face is an external thing. It reveals my identity into the world. Now, some of you will see me walking down the street. You'll see my face, and you'll be like, oh, there's Stu, lovely fella, great face. Um, the one place that I can see my face, though, of course, is a mirror, or, as I'm going to say for the next five minutes, murr, which is M-U-R-R, um, I think is how I say it. Whenever I look into a mirror, I'm able to catch a glimpse of what each of you are able to see. And God bless you for that. Um, In the mirror, I can catch a glimpse of what is external, what I'm revealing to the world. And James, in this passage, speaks of us looking into a particular kind of mirror. He describes this mirror as the perfect law that gives freedom, or shorthand, it's the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. James wants to paint this picture for us of us looking into this particular kind of mirror. And as we do that, we're able to see our reflection in it. We're able to gaze into the story of God, his redemptive plan for the world, his loving kindness, his renewing of all of creation. We're able to look into this mirror and see his affection towards us and also his intention for the world and we're able to see our face in it. We're those who have heard the word of God, who have received it, but who've also been transformed by it. Now we are part of God's story. As we gaze into this mirror of his story, we are able to see that we're not simply spectators of what he is doing in the world, but actually we are actors in it. Now, I look a state in the mornings. I like horrendous in the mornings. My hair goes all over the place, kinda of goes like the ace ventura style. It kinda of goes up at the sides and then down in the middle. I don't quite know how that looks. I've got stuff in my eyes, I just look horrendous. And here's the thing: if I just woke up this morning, looked into the mirror and didn't do anything about it, I'd get some looks for me, maybe more than kind of the looks that I usually get on a Sunday morning. People would be asking me on the way in, what is up with your face? It doesn't make any sense for me to look into a mirror and not actually do anything in response to it. This morning, I woke up, I looked into the mirror, and I acted in response to it, hence this. Lovely fella, great face. Um, In light of what I saw, I'm going to use a strong word, I was compelled to act this morning. And what James is saying here is that in light of what we see, as we gaze into the mirror of the God story, we're compelled to act. We're compelled to do something based on what we've seen. But as we gaze into seeing that through the pursuing, shame-breaking, sin-defeating love of the Father as we see his wonderful news of transformation that has taken hold of our lives, actually we want to be the kind of people in response who share that same wonderful news with other people in our city. That as we gaze into his way of transformation, that as he transforms creation, industries, communities, families, we want to be a part of that same movement of transformation as we look into the mirror and see God making himself so present with those who were far from him, we want to be the kind of people who draw really, really close to people. That as we look and see that we have been saved from surface level religion into a life of compassionate, true religion, where we look after widows and orphans, we want to move ourselves in that kind of way. In light of what we've seen In light of what we've seen intently, we want to be the kind of people who go and do, we want to take in the word of God and do what it says. I want you to go with me to where I started off this morning by turning with me to Luke chapter 8, start of the New Testament. It's page 718 in the Bibles around you. This is this moment where Jesus is teaching. He's just taught about the seed. And he begins to fire out these punchy statements. His mum and his brothers are wanting to get a hold of him. And he responds to the disciples' request by saying, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I just, As an aside, I just want to say, Jesus isn't being disrespectful here. He's not being a stroppy child. A few months ago, I taught into Jesus being one who was marked by gentleness, that even on the most brutal and victorious moment on the cross, despite all that was going on, Jesus was so incredibly focused on his mother and his relationship with John, pairing them together to create family. Jesus is not disrespectful here. Instead, he wants to make a really strong prophetic statement, and it is this. To be part of the family of God is to both hear the word of God and to do it, to incarnate its way, to enflesh it. Our family way is to hear and to do. And yet, if I'm to be really honest with you this morning, I feel the temptation all of the time to simply sell for half of our family way, to look into the mirror, to take it all in, And yet, not really do anything about it. To hear, but not do. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but I know for sure that it is not the kind of life that we have been commissioned into. There's something about our current cultural moment that tempts us into just settling for half of the story, gazing, but not practicing. It's a little bit like walking away from a mirror and forgetting what we look like. We don't offer anything of substance into the world. And yet the truth of it is that this doesn't make any sense. If you want to flick on the quote from Dallas Willard, this is the words of Willard in Renovation of the Heart. Um, I love these words and I hate them at the same time because they pierce my soul. No one can actually believe the truth about Jesus without trusting him by intending to obey him. It's a mental impossibility. The idea that you can trust Christ and not intend to obey him is an illusion generated by the prevalence of an unbelieving Christian culture. Please notice the quote marks. In fact, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him than you can trust your doctor and your auto mechanic and not intend to follow their advice. If you don't intend to follow their advice, you simply don't trust them, period. Now an intention is brought to completion only by a decision to fulfill or to carry, out th- th- car- sorry, to carry through with intention. If I intend to obey Jesus Christ, I must intend and decide to become the kind of person who would obey. That is, I must find the means of changing my inner being until it is substantially like his, pervasively characterized by his thoughts, his feelings, his habits, and relationship with the Father. What Willard is saying here is that it doesn't make any sense to hear the word of God and not actually put it into practice. It's an impossibility, he describes it, and yet, why do I feel the temptation to do that all of the time? Willard puts his finger on something By calling out what he describes as an unbelieving Christian culture. Which is a pretty modern phenomenon in the history of the church. It's where we can get caught up in the subculture of Christian life. Where we can engage ourselves with a lot of stuff that exposes us to the God story. Whether it's worship albums, books, services, conferences, church hopping, videos or quotes on news feeds. But... It doesn't actually lead us to any sort of practice. If we're not careful, an unbelieving church culture, as Willard t- talks about it, can influence us into being the kind of person who spends their lives hearing an awful lot, but not actually doing an awful lot. Let me give you two examples, real quick the big headed Christian and also the second hand Christian. Big-headed Christianity is a huge temptation for me personally. I love learning. I love taking in information. I love theology. I love studying. I love reading. You'll see me walking down the street, headphones in, listening to podcasts as you see my face. Great fella, lovely face. I'm a bit nerdy like that. And so I hear a lot, as James puts it. I spend an awful lot of time looking into the mirror. You wouldn't think it. And yet the temptation for me is to keep filling my head with content so that my head gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But I've got to be really careful because if I don't begin to put all of this content actually into practice, my body will just begin to become more and more like a stick man with a huge head. It doesn't make any sense. So with such a huge head and such a thin body, I'll begin to lose my balance. I'll begin to fall over and lie down. Full of amazing content and yet not allowing it to inform my actions. Second is secondhand Christianity or passive Christianity. It's like standing beside somebody who's smoking a cigarette and just passively taking in their smoke fumes. There's a danger for some of us to simply live off the fumes of somebody else's Christian experience, their stories, their content their activity, their best prayers, rather than putting this stuff into practice ourselves. They're off doing the business. They're doing their thing. They've got these incredible stories, and there's something about getting around those kinds of people that actually we feel as if we can get off the hook sometimes. It's the danger of second-hand Christianity. Here's the thing. It's becoming more and more normal, but also more and more dangerous to think that we've been commissioned into a life simply of hearing and not doing. It's an illusion. It's an illusion that brings our attention back on ourselves rather than what we can demonstrate into the world. And yet, I have noticed, as I have lived in this kind of way and am tempted to do it all of the time, I become really, really tired. I become really, really knackered. I feel weighed down all of the time. And why? Because this way of life, this way of hearing but not doing, doesn't find its source in the way of Jesus or the way of the kingdom. It finds its source in a completely different place. Consumerism. Consumerism tricks us into this pattern of thinking where we feel as if we need to keep accumulating so much more stuff until we will reach a certain point. At that point, that point of practice, we can start doing the business, but between here and now, I've got to accumulate so much more stuff so that I will get to this place. By living this life of hearing but not doing, we feel this strange sense of lack. There'll be the point up ahead. I'm not there yet. At the minute, I am ill-equipped, I am uninformed, I am disempowered. And yet I look around me and I see shinier, better models of what it looks like to practice the way of the kingdom. And so because of that, because of my underpreparedness, I'm going to try and fill this gap with content, with other people's stories, with the product, with the performance. And we run around trying to accumulate all of this stuff and yet we never feel closer to the point of practice. And we simply, all the while, knacker ourselves out while we try and play content try and play catch up with all of this content does any of that make sense this morning are you tired are you worn out weighed down by the accumulation do you feel burnt out by consumer christianity i've got some really really good news for you this morning you don't need to live that way you don't need to live that way You've been commissioned into a very different kind of life. Jump one page with me to Luke 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, these are the twelve disciples. These boys certainly were not ready. They weren't fully equipped. They didn't know everything, but they had become apprentices of Jesus. They were listening to him, watching how he worked. And despite not being fully trained and being really, really ropey around the edges, Jesus releases them. Read with me. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the kind of life that you have been commissioned into. A life of hearing and doing. A life where we're constantly learning, where we are constantly being trained, and yet a life where we have come to see that we have already been empowered and already given authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal those who are ill. We've been invited to gaze into the story of God and not just keep it to ourselves, but to enflesh it, to put it into practice. This account of the sending of the 12 and later the 72 pops up all across the gospel story. I love how Matthew puts it though in particular. Matthew records these words of Jesus. If you want to flick on the slide to the ones from Matthew. Jesus says these words to his disciples: "As you go, proclaim this message. It says this: The kingdom of heaven has come near. For those of you who are familiar with the gospel narrative, you'll hear these words, and they all sound very, very familiar. Because these are the words that Jesus, after the desert place for 40 days, after rising from the waters of baptism, these are the words that he uses to inaugurate the kingdom of God, to begin his own ministry." In Matthew 4 he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. These are the same words that Jesus used to begin his ministry. The disciples were invited to nothing less than the same things that Jesus did. They have been invited. We have been invited to live, as Eugene Peterson so helpfully puts it, live the Christ life in the Christ way we've been invited to engage in this dual movement of hearing and doing, of listening and then putting it into practice. And our hearing only needs to be one step ahead and then the doing will immediately follow after. Learning and listening, seeing our face in the mirror of God's wonderful plan for the world, but then also the movement to go and incarnate his way in our city, to take it all in, but then go And see, the kingdom of God declared and also demonstrated in our city. We are not spectators in the God story. We are actors in it. The desire of the Father for us as his apprentices is to lead us from a place of passivity to a place of practice. We've received the goodness of the kingdom of God so that we can go and demonstrate its tangible power in our city that whenever we get around our neighbors, our colleagues, we'll be the kind of people who would see that we have been empowered, we've been given authority, that we can already step into this place, that we can pray for people in supermarkets, that we can pray and contend for the movement, the turning around of our businesses for the sake of people's lives, that we can be the kind of people who long for renewal of even creation itself. That actually we don't need to hear from God again with tangible words, but actually we know that we can step into what he has already invited us into. We're to hear and we're to do. Deepening our understanding and growing in power. And whenever those two things are tethered together, that makes for a lethal combination. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. The first Christians uh, conquered the ancient world just by being Christian. Notice he doesn't say not thinking Christian, but being Christian. It was their love for one another and their type of life that made such an impact upon the world. And there's no question, but this is the greatest need of the hour, the Christian quality of life being demonstrated among men and women. That is something to which we are all called. I love that. That's something which we can all do. Receiving the goodness of the kingdom, and then going to declare and demonstrate its nearness and its power amongst us, hearing and doing. That is a life that we have been commissioned into. Let me take it one step further, real quick. Verse three of chapter nine, Jesus says this take nothing for the journey, no staff. No bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, take nothing for the journey. Whenever it comes to the life of simply just hearing that is marked by consumer Christianity, we weigh ourselves down. We feel the need to fill our bags with tools and learning and experiences and content and degrees and courses and conferences so that we're ready to go. And yet, whenever it comes to the life that we have been commissioned into, we see with Jesus that its burden is really, really light. No longer do we need to feel the need to scramble to prepare ourselves. Instead, Jesus says, there's nothing else you need for the journey. You have all that you need. You've been commissioned. You've been equipped. You've been empowered. Now you can learn on the go. Saying yes to this kind of life requires so much more courage, so much more bravery as we engage in this risky way of life, seeing people healed seeing lives utterly transformed, and yet this is the way of Jesus. Come, all of you here are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That as we hear and do, we will be able to live as apprentices of Jesus, learning what it means to live freely and lightly because the source of this lightness, the freedom that we get to experience, it comes from trust. The ragamuffin Brennan Manning puts it like this, childlike surrender and trust is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. The disciples wouldn't have felt ready. Far from it. And yet they were sent out to demonstrate the kingdom and declare its nearness. That required them not to trust their own sense of preparedness, but trust the one who was sending them. The idea that they had to pile on learning and empowerment and experience into their bag is just simply thrown out the window as they look to Jesus who says to them, Go, I've shown you, go and do what I do. If I've learned anything about following Jesus, um, it is this. The reality of the commissioning and the empowerment that I have received, it always outweighs my sense of preparedness every time. I never feel ready for what Jesus has invited me into. And yet, Jesus releases me into that kind of life. And so, I trust him. I simply, ruthlessly trust him. I say, yes, yes. And even though um, the weight of the authority that I receive from trust is so much stronger than the, the authority that I try to create for myself, it feels really, really light on my shoulders. I trust that Jesus has given me power and authority, the kind that I can't muster up for myself, but the kind that gives me all that I need to go and practice the way of the kingdom, to be able to say yes. I trust that he, in his wisdom, has equipped me with all that I need, even though I may not feel it. I trust in his authority and not my own. I trust that the reality of the commissioning and the empowerment that I have received, it always outweighs my sense of preparedness every time. I trust the one who says that he is going to be present with me, even to the very end of the age Jesus looks to the crowd and says, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And this is why I love that this morning of all mornings, we are encouraging each of us as a community to sign up for Love Lagin Valley. As Willard puts it, to intentionally put a marker down the 3rd to the 5th of August, and to intentionally go about living this kind of life. We have received so, so much. We have taken it all in as we look into the mirror. And actually, for some of us, this is the opportunity, this is the moment for us to start doing, to be able to practice this kind of life, not simply for the 3rd and the 5th, The 3rd to the 5th of August, but actually that as we do it, there will be something that opens up in our own lives, that we will be able to hold more of the authority that Jesus has blessed us with, that this could become our way of life, that we will stop simply just hearing, but also step into doing. And in just a few moments, we're gonna respond by giving you the opportunity to sign up this morning to be able to do that. But I wanna just land by talking to those who are going away. People in our community who are willing for this summer to both hear and do. And and there's probably like 15, 20 of you, and we're going to get you guys up to the front in just a few moments to pray for you. Um, but I just want to say just a few things to you before you go. I know the team to Ibiza are going to be heading off pretty much immediately after the service, so I will be quick. Um, I, I want to just say a few things to you um, before you guys go. Um, firstly, for you, whenever you are away on teams, wherever that may be, whether it's home or abroad, I, whenever I reflected on this and I was praying for you over the course of this week, I was really drawn to that moment whenever Jesus sends out the 12 and he says that I've given you authority. Some of you are really young. Um, some of you may feel really young, and yet, The reality is that because because you're followers of Jesus, you have been blessed with authority. You carry authority. And authority is not privado. It's not stepping in saying, look, I'm here. Um, Authority is tied to service. It's tied to secretly, compassionately serving people. But authority allows you to live really, really boldly. And particularly for those of you who are nervous about going, whether you're thinking about beta and you're nervous about heading, or further down the summer you're doing something different, you're slightly nervous. Um, I think particularly for you folk who feel that in their gut at the minute, I think that there's particularly something about authority and the nervousness that you feel right now, that actually as you pray and as you speak out loud, It may be a little bit shaky, your voice may flutter a little bit, but actually I think what you'll find is that there is a real weight to what you're going to say and a real weight to the prayers that you're going to pray. The other thing I do want to say to each of you who are going is you're going to encounter an awful lot of strangers whenever you're away, people who you've never met before, people who you'll probably never meet again. And yet there's something that we've been equipped with. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's called the gift of knowledge. It's the opportunity to be able to cut through very, very quickly and speak to somebody right at the core of their being. And as we're going to pray for you, I'd love us to be praying that actually you would receive or receive an increase in the gift of knowledge, that actually you'd be able to hear God drop things in. There'd be words that just fly out of your mouth and like, where did that come from? But actually you just look at somebody And something would just pop into your head, your imagination would spark, and that you would just say those words out loud, because trust me, as we do that, things begin to accelerate really, really quickly, even though they may be strangers, you have the potential to be able to speak right into the core of their being. Also, for the the team that are going to Ibiza, um, just praying for you guys this morning, the, the words that came into my head were, don't ever apologize. And You're going to be going into a place, um, mecca of partying. Um, Whenever you're going to be encountering people, you're going to see people who are going to look at you like, what are you doing here? Why are you at this boiler room? What is a boiler room? What is 24-7? Why are you praying for me? What is prayer? And they're going to be like, who are you? What are you doing? And the temptation sometimes for us is to retreat back and to downplay what we do. And actually, this is a moment for you to be able to display an alternative pattern of life, to be able to display a different hope to people. And so don't ever apologize for that. Don't ever apologize for the hope that you carry. There's something about your team growing in confidence over the course of the next 13 days and being able to step into that more confidence in their identity, finally. Whenever you all come back, And whenever you come back off team, whenever you reflect on this, I think that you may begin to see it like this, that this summer was a season of training for a lifetime of passionate devotion. That's not to take away from what you're doing, but it's an opportunity to be able to step out, that actually you'll be able to see that what you're doing should be the normal rhythm of life. It's not just summer camp but actually this is an opportunity for you to live into that way, to engrave those patterns into the very core of your being so that they become incredibly normal. Also, finally, last thing. Um, in my experience, whenever we step out and do this kind of thing, whenever we go out in teams, whenever we uh, travel the world, um, as we step out, as we take risks, um, what I find in the goodness of God that he does so often is, is that into the space that we find ourselves removed from home, that he begins to drop in these seeds of destiny, these whispers of destiny into our lives, that actually we'll begin to see how what we're doing now will equip us for what we're going to be doing in the future, that we're going to hear from God as he speaks into our lives and begins to lead us into the direction that actually there's vocations that you'll be hearing about over the course of the next couple of weeks and months that maybe you didn't even think before that there are these whispers of destiny. So can I encourage you, create as much space as you can and begin just to listen to what the Father is doing in you.